0: Y'all ready to get started today? Man, I am so, I, I'm excited about Easter coming, but I, we're, I thought we would be at the end of this series by the time Easter got here, but there's just absolutely no possible way. And, uh, we're on chapter 9, and I wanted to burn through it. God was ministering to me personally through it, but man, it just keeps getting deeper and deeper in my own personal life. So man, we're probably going to have to pick up some of this after Easter, because we're not going to get through the book of Joshua. But we have to because Joshua is the picture of what God wants your life to look like. If you're visiting with us, you know, we started this series called Be Strong and Courageous because a lot of people don't understand what kind of life God wants you to live. So one of two things happen. Either you don't, you won't accept and move into the life that God has for you because you think it's going to be all bad. For years, that's what I did. I wasn't going to be a Christian because I was afraid God was going to call me to be a preacher. And I did not think preachers have a great life. And i got to be honest with you, I've got the greatest life you could ever imagine when I finally sold out to what God had called me to do. You will never be fulfilled until you fulfill purpose. And so... You know, some people don't do it because they're afraid God's going to make them live life. They not They aren't happy. Or some people won't step into it because they don't have any idea, and they think that the enemy. The minute you start serving the Lord, it's going to be just battle, 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 battle all the time. You know, I told the story last week about the boxer that was going into the rink, and the coach, the his coach, said on the and he "says." Yo, know, we're gonna get this. This is easy fight for you. That guy, your stats are better, your numbers are better, you're a harder hitter. Let's go, you're gonna win this thing, and bing the bell ring jumps up, they go to well and well and well and, or the opponent just starts beating the snot out of our guy. Just beating him, beat him. He can't even get a punch in beating him. The bell rings, he comes sits down and the coach says, Man, you got this thing, you got this thing. You're whooping him. He's wearing out you you got this thing. He, he's not even touching you, you got it. And the bell rings, he jumps back to him, gets back in the fight and just pound a pound a pound a pound the pounder, the Opponent just beating the snot out of him. Bell rings again, goes back and sits down, and the guy's like, Man, you're winning, you're winning. Everybody, you got this thing, you're winning. And he looks at him and says, Somebody needs to go tell him that because it doesn't feel like I'm winning. That's a lot of the life that us believers sometimes the enemy convinces us that we have, but that's not the picture. As a matter of fact, God gave us the book of Joshua, which actually the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The word Joshua is Yeshua. In the New Testament, the name Jesus is written in Greek, which is also Yeshua, are the exact same word which means Jesus. It's the only book in the Bible that bears Jesus' name. The reason that is so, because God gave us the book of Joshua to show us, once we accept Jesus as our Savior, what life is supposed to look like. It is supposed to be a life that you live in the promised land or a life that you live full of promises of God. God's promises that He has for you is expected. God, God wants you to live out and obtain and hold, not just be a carrot that's dangling on a stick in front of you feel like you'll never get to what God tells you you can have. God wants you to have this. He said this. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to have every, in the New Testament, He said He wants you to have every kind of spiritual blessings." He wants you to enjoy the fruit of the land. God wants all this for you, but the truth of the matter is most of us don't know how to get it. So we just constantly stay in a life of battle. One of the reasons why we stay in a life of battle is because when we come into this new life that God has for us, we enter into the promise-filled life. We don't expect there to be any battles Or any giants or any problems in it. So if you come into serving the Lord or accepting Jesus thinking that your life just got easy and now you're going to not be, your life is going to be like a playground, you're wrong. It is a battlefield. The entire book of Joshua is written on the battlefield. You are going to go through battles. But the thing about it is, God does not expect you to always have to fight fight, fight, go, but God wants you to, the reason why he puts us in a battlefield, because he wants you to not live a life of battle, but live a life of victory. And you can never have victory unless you're on a battlefield. And so there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with God when things are going wrong around you. Just because there are problems in the promised land or there are problems or situations in your life does not mean God is unhappy with you does not mean that God is disappointed does not mean you're doing something wrong or God has forgotten and don't care what it means is God has made you victorious we just have to recognize that that's the life he's called us to live and it's just a recognition it's 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 just coming to terms with men Things are going to happen around me, but if God be for me, who can be against me? And there's not a single battle you will lose, or there's not a single battle you're supposed to be defeated in. You're not saying as a matter of fact, there's not a single battle that you're gonna fight alone. In most of your battles, if you allow God to fight for you, He will. So we've been looking at this. This life that we're walking into. And today, we're going to jump in on verse chapter 9 and verse 10. We're about halfway through. We'll get to chapter 12. We'll be halfway through. But I want to take a few minutes because the book's about to change. Up to this point in the book of Joshua. And this is how it is when you come to serve the Lord. God changes your life, and now he's giving you this new inheritance. He says, everywhere your foot goes, I will give it to you. You've got to be willing to walk through some things, to possess some things. And so that's a powerful promise, though. If you'll walk through some stuff, David said this, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It didn't say, yea, though I walk around the battle, or I avoided the battle, or, you know, I didn't have to go, but he said, I go through the valley. He says, I will feel evil, for you with me. The first thing God told Joshua is you're going to go through some things, but you need to keep putting your foot down and keep going through them because everywhere your foot goes, I'm going to give you victory. You know, you say, well, don't look like victory with my kids. Keep walking. Keep walking. Tomorrow is a place you'll put your foot if you keep walking, and it's only a matter of time before them kids can not outrun the promise of God. I tried to outrun them. The promises of God are fast, swift, and quick. And I try. I was. I thought I was pretty quick and squirrely. But man, them promises you can't outrun. David said, "This where can I hide from your presence? I can go to the highest of the high. You are there. Go to the lowest of the low. You are there." And nobody, he goes, "I can go to the deepest of the sea." So in my highest days and my lowest days, God was still stepping because the promises of God that my parents had had to become true because God cannot lie. They just had to keep walking them out you just got to keep stepping. Keep going. That's the promise. Everywhere your foot steps, every time you take a step, it's a matter of time before you possess that promise. So going into the promised land, though, they came in and immediately, immediately, God said this. He said, before you can go to possessing, you're going to have to make a decision to cut away some things out of your life. And the truth is this. A lot of times, and especially nowadays, people want to make God's rules or His commandments fit their lifestyle. And the truth is, there are some things when you do come into a relationship with Jesus and He truly becomes your Lord, you got to cut some things away that God does not want in your life. There are habits, there are activities, there are thoughts, there are people, there are things that are your flesh has been connected to that you got to be willing to let God cut you away. But you've got to understand this too. God said this, when you do... It says that I am the vine, he, you are the branches. It says that he, his desires for your branches. Anyone abiding me, they'll bear fruit and much fruit. But there's a pruning process. If you, if you're a farmer of any kind, you know that. you can know saying there, there are things called sucker shoots on fruit trees and vegetable trees. That if you allow these things to stay on the branch, when I do our tomatoes and they're growing, you, uh, we get tomato trees. Me and the girls will go out there and there'll be, you know, some little buds over here, but there'll be a big old long branch over here with nothing on it. We'll cut that off because that's sucking the life out of the fruit that can be produced. And so going into it, into this world like there, God is going to ask you to have to cut some things away. You're going to have to cut some friends away that have been pulling and tugging on you to go cut some, some desires or habits away. And it's not a bad thing because anything you give up for God, God will give back to you a hundredfold in the right ways. Because the Bible says the blessings of God bring no sorrow. And so, that's what the first thing God told them did. Then, the next thing is they came to a city called Jericho. Now, in the Bible, here, there are three cities that were right at the very beginning of the battle for the children of Israel. There are three enemies that they had to conquer before the game changed. The first place they had to conquer was Jericho. The second was Ai. And the third was the Gileads. Now, These three commentaries and different uh, speakers and and theologians believe, these three spiritually represent the three battles that every believer will have to fight as soon as they come into the knowledge and the, the life of Christ. Number one was the battle of Jericho, which they believe represents the battle of the world. And the world is a battle that will constantly... See, we live in a fallen world. This world has fallen, and this world that we live in is not connected to God because of the fall. The only connection this world has with God is me and you being on it. And so, although you can see God in every part of the creation, God, we live in a fallen world, and so there's a the world has this pull on us, this pull that is always. You know, they say this, and I found this to be true. I allowed myself to get out of shape one time. I got married and got comfortable. Up to then, I was six-pack. Honestly, I didn't weigh but 120 pounds, but had a six-pack and had, you know, you could make a muscle as a little muscle, but it's very defined, and, you know, I was, and then I got married, and the first six months of my marriage, I put on 20 pounds. First year of my marriage, I put on 20 more. So yeah, I'd put on 40 pounds in two years, and the six-pack was gone. And I looked in the mirror one day and my face literally was twice the size that it was when I got married. And uh, I said, Jennifer, you can love me twice as much now. But now I got serious on it. So I was like, I got to get this weight off. And so I did. The first time in my life I ever had to diet. It was a different experience. But as I was doing, after I got the weight back off, um, this is what I read. Whatever you allow yourself to get up to, you will have to fight the rest of your life because your body will constantly be trying to get to that stage again. So, you've ever watched uh, Biggest Loser and you see them people drop two, three hundred pounds, but then you pull up the after um, pictures two or three years later and they'll be right back to where they were? It's like the world. See, what you came out of, the world is constantly trying to pull you back to because it's comfortable. And so, there's a draw the world has. There's a draw that the world's always trying to pull you back into to get you to be like them. The Bible says, but, but don't be conformed to this world. It says, but be transformed. The one trailer says, "Don't live after the patterns of this world. The world has a pattern And every, you know, the world is an eye for an eye. You do this, to me, I'm going to get it back. I'm going to get you back. And the world has, you know, what uh, God is a God of grace. You can do what you want. How you? The world has a pattern and a philosophy for everything. And 99.9 percent of the time, the world's pattern is contrary to what God has for you. But since we came out of a fallen world. Just like with the weight loss, there's a constant draw that's trying. So you're going to have to get victory over the world in the pattern that the world tries to pull us back into. The world would love for you to be saved on Sunday, but be just like everybody else Monday through Saturday. And so there's a pattern. And a lot of times we get in that pattern, that rut of worshiping God when we're in the church. But you can't tell any difference from us. we're in the world and so Jericho represents the first battle that we have to learn to fight that we are called apart we're separate we're different and that we're called to live for God and not live for the world and the things that of the world and so we're not to be conformed to the pattern that will be transformed by the renewing of our mind can't think like the world can't talk like the world can't the world has a weather it's a battle and it's a daily battle that we have to choose Then they left out of Jericho, God's hand miraculously moved and gave them victory over Jericho. The next battle they went into was Ai. Theologians and commentators believe that Ai represents the next battle that Christians will have to fight is the battle of the flesh because see there's a difference in what the world wants you to do and what you want to do just yourself right <laughs> the, 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 my flesh wants me to do things the world would even be detested at you know what i'm saying like our flesh is at a constant battle and we talked about it uh there in ayahs where they lost that battle because somebody uh, chose to let they there they something was more precious to them than having a relationship with god so they took and they hid and they Took things that they considered to be precious over what God had told them to do, and it cost them a great victory. The next battle Christians have to learn to be able to live this promiseful life is to get victory over the flesh. You say, Well, cricket, how do I do that? And we talked about, well, everybody has two kings they're, they're, you've got a spirit, soul, and a body. The soul is just a a uh, game upon in the game because whichever part of your life is in control your soul will line up with if you let your flesh make every decision if it's in control then you're going to think feel and desire fleshly things but if you will let your spirit man your inward man the bible calls it be in control then your, your emotions your mind your will and your emotions your desires will all begin to line up you ever met somebody you thought man, how do they think spiritual like that all the time it's because their spirit man's in control And you say, well, how do I let my spirit man be in control? Um, It's whichever one you feed. It's the strongest in your life. If you are feeding your spiritual man, he will be stronger than your physical man. But if you feed your your physical man all the desires that it wants, and there's no pullback, there's no disband, your spiritual man, your physical man will be dominant in your life. And so you'll be a saved Christian thinking carnal. You'll be sitting in church thinking about half the people you don't like in here, or you'll you'll be you know going to work uh, cussing and talking just like everybody else cussing and talking. I mean, there is a difference, and you. Get, so the second battle Christians have to be, walk it through is how to defeat the flesh, and you defeat the flesh by feeding the spirit. You defeat the flesh by feeding the spirit, and then the third battle is what we're going to talk about today, because. The third battle was when they were right outside of Ai, was a town called the Gibeonite. It was 15 miles away from Ai. 15 miles. But there were a people there that represent the attack or the battle or the the war the devil will have in your life. Now, it's real easy... For Christians to believe and understand that the battle with the world were to be different, were to be called out. I've never met a Christian that did not know when they were living in the flesh. But this battle's different. This battle is characteristic of the devil. And if the devil can't beat you, the devil will join you. And we're going to pick up right here. I'm not going to read I'm going to to paraphrase quite a bit for the sake of time. But we're going to jump in in Joshua chapter 9. And it says, And it came to pass when all the kings who were on the side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowlands, and all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzarites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, heard it that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel in one accord. What we're picking up here is this. They just beat Ai. Everybody in the land started hearing it. Joshua revealed his strategy at this moment. You need to know something. If you're going to win this battle and be victorious in life, you're going to have to get a spiritual strategy. If you wait for the attack to come to you, you will more than likely lose the attacks every time. But if you have a strategy, if you have a plan on how to beat it, they say, if, if I go to bed and you know, decide I'll just feel however I feel in the morning when Jennifer says the first thing to me and I respond that way, most of the time I'm probably going to blow it. Because she may say it in a way I didn't like it. But if I decide I'm going to wake up in the morning, I'm going to be a godly husband before I go to bed. And, you know, most times Jennifer is very sweet in the morning. But um, sometimes she's not. And then, so I've already decided whether she... Cause I've had to decide to do spiritual things. She has to decide every morning to be spiritual because I get up a lot of times in a bad mood. But um, saying all that, say this, you got to get ready for the battle. So here, Joshua had a strategy, and this reveals his strategy. The strategy for living this promise-filled life, he was going to divide and conquer. A principle in the Word of God is that is the way you win battles, and the devil knows that about you and me. The same strategy that Joshua came to win this victorious life, the devil knows he can do the same to you. Do you know the problem with the church today, and even in this church today, is not there's not a lack of a power or anointing from God. The problem with the problem with the national church, the world church, and even in this church, is a power of unity. Because the devil's fully aware that that's how you win. And the truth is, churches can't get themselves anywhere. We're more concentrated on getting an anointing in this place, or having a power of service, or saying all this, and we get our eyes off being in unity. Because see, when the church got in one accord, even in Acts, says, they were up in the upper room waiting, but when they got in one accord, the power of the Holy Ghost blew into the room, and they all received power. The problem with the church today is we just don't want to give up the way we like doing things a lot of times to be in unity. You can have different opinions, but have the same purpose in being in unity. i got to be honest with you. I don't care what genre song we sing, but as long as I'm singing to usher in the presence of God, we can do it. I can do it with country. I can do it with rap. I can do it with hip-hop. I can do it with whatever kind because I'm singing to usher. I'm not singing what I like. And so the church can't get this. But what you need to understand about the devil is they get it. The kingdom of hell is in more unity than the kingdom of God is on this earth. We know that because when Jesus showed up with the legion, the kid that was possessed with the demons, Jesus said... What is your name? And this is what the demon said. And they, they've been trying to get this kid free for years. And the leader says, we are legion for we are many. They were all willing, thousands of demons in this kid, were all willing to line up under one name. When's the last time you've seen a church do that? Last time i truly seen it is when revivals were breaking out. You know what I'm saying? And when I read about it in Acts chapter 2, it says when they were all in one accord, the Holy Spirit came in. So if I want to win a battle, the best thing for me to do is divide, and then I can conquer. And so that's why the enemy is constantly coming between you and your wife. Because if he can divide you, he can beat you. That's why he constantly comes in to different churches or different denominations and different play. I mean, I was talking to a church today that was not a part of of our denomination and me and him were out back Pastor Green we were talking about when Easter's over we want to do a pop-up service in a park where both of our churches come out even though we're different and I'm going to be honest with you we're totally totally different churches completely their personality is totally different than our personality but they're here for the same reason and so because they're here for the same reason we don't got to be just alike we can actually do something to the kingdom of darkness and if the devil can divide you he can defeat you Next time you and your wife can't see eye to eye, you better remember that. You say, well, if she would just submit and agree, no. Uh, And uh, getting into a a unity or an accord doesn't mean you actually see eye to eye. What you do is you agree to disagree, and you're not going to let the anointing be taken from you by a spirit of strife. But Joshua knew this. He knew we're going to win this battle if we can divide and conquer. So the plan was for them to go right up the middle of Canaan and defeat every king up the middle. Then they were going to go right, and they were going to go left. They were going to go to the south, and they were going to go to the uh, north, and they were going to take the land. Because the key strategy of you winning, and the key strategy, you want me me to tell you how to uh, get an unsaved kid uh, back close to the Lord? Divide him from all his unsaved friends. You want to divide and conquer? How is a heathen, my senior year. You know what my parents did? Grounded me for six months. Didn't let me go anywhere with my heathen friends. Didn't let me... I kicked and screamed. And by the time I graduated, I was saved. Divide and conquer. That's the. That and Joshua's principle here was divide and conquer. So what the enemy recognized, that was the strategy. And so this... We'll pick up right here. They, they were going to divide and conquer. Go right up the middle and then begin to spread out. And this is what it says. It says in verse 3, it says, But then when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done at Jericho, and Ai, they worked craftily. This battle represents the battle of you fighting the devil and what the devil has planned in your life. You know, the world, it's easy to divide. The, the flesh, it's easy to recognize. But you've got to know who your adversary, the devil, is. The Bible gets real deep and clear. It says that we are to know your adversary, the devil. Because you need to know when he's showing up, who it is that's showing up. And he, here, it, divides, it describes him as being crafty. All right, if you go over to Ephesians 6, let me read you what Ephesians 6 says. It says, um, Ephesians 6, I got a lot of scriptures today. Ephesians 6 says, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's why we're preaching, be strong and be courageous. It says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. Traps, snares, plans, what he's got going on. The devil is as crafty as any being that has ever been on this planet. And the devil is as shady. The devil is as creative. The devil is, he is constantly, constantly at work trying to deceive you. 90% of the time, the devil's not going to come to you face on. He likes to use back doors and side channels. Because he knows if he comes on, you face on, he knows you as a believer already know that he is defeated. But if he can sneak in and come along beside you, you can be walking in a direction, completely thinking that God is leading and guiding you, but he has got his arm around you slowly. Now, there's a a story in the Old Testament where... um, Joab Joab and Abner. They were both generals in the army. One was Judah and one was Israel. And they had fallen out where um, Abner, Joab's brother, had gotten killed. And Abner had to pretend for a long time that it didn't happen because David told him to get over it. But he didn't. And he, for years, pretended that he was... Joab's friend. And the Bible says there came a day that Abner was living in a, what they called a sanctuary city, and the law was if you'd killed somebody, the, punished, the family could come kill you unless you lived in a, a city of sanctuary, and then they couldn't come in that city and kill you. So if you killed somebody, if you could get to one of those cities before their family caught you, then they couldn't touch you. Well, Abner had moved into it. But Joab played for years to be this guy's friend. And the Bible says that one day, Joab came into the city of refuge, and he was talking to Abner, so he put his arm around his shoulder, and they were walking around the city talking as friends. And Abner forgot where they were and who he was talking to. He thought he was talking to a friend. the Bible says that um, Joab had led him while they were walking outside the city gate, went outside past the entrance of the gate, and then he pulled out a knife and stuck it into his gut. And that's a perfect picture of how the devil tries to work. The Bible says this, that the devil can actually be disguised as an angel of light. The devil is such a crafty warfare opponent that when he comes at us, a lot of times we have no idea that this is the work of the enemy. The Bible says this, that he goes around like a roaring lion. But sometimes them lions don't roar. They crouch. And they stalk. And they try to come and sneak up on you. And if they can get close enough to you in the sneak, then they can take you out without ever making a sound. The Bible says this. The Bible says this about the devil. It says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It says that in uh, Matthew seven fifteen, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you as sheep in wolf's clothing. That tells me this, that the devil will hide and pretend to be a sheep. You want me to tell you how you know if, there is a, if you're talking to a sheep or if you're talking to a wolf disguised as a sheep? Sheep don't bite sheep. Wolves bite sheep. And so if you're the devil, I'm here to tell you, there's people that the devil has sent in this church that don't understand who their adversary the devil is. And so they allow the enemy to use them to walk around and bite and hit and scratch and claw because he knows they're being influenced and used by a demonic spirit. You say, I don't believe in that. Well, let me read Ephesians six ten for you real quick again. We're going to go somewhere. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It ain't people we're dealing with. But against principalities, powers, rule of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places, against hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. The devil is going to come and try to attack you. And when he does it, he's going to try to do it sneaky. I'm here to say he's sneaky. So here in this book... Of Joshua verse 9, it deals with the attack of the devil and how he works. And this is what does. And you can read, and I ask you to read the rest of these two chapters because I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time now. The Bible says that the Gideonites came to Joshua, and before they did, they changed their appearance and what they looked like because they had studied their opponents. The devil has been studying you your whole life. This devil knows your weaknesses, he knows your, your hurts, he knows your you know your your disappointment. He's been studying your whole life because this is what the Bible says. The Bible says in Exodus that Moses made a declaration to the children of Israel that when they come into the promised land, said that when they get there, that they are to destroy every inhabitant of the land. But it said, But the neighboring countries they can make peace with. So this enemy knew their past, knew what God had told them, knew the rules. And they found a loophole. Says they came sneakily. It says so. They says they put on worn-out shoes, worn-out, worn-out clothes. They put on, um, you know, made themselves dirty and nasty, like they've been on a long journey. Says they took stale bread that was, you know, gotten old and moldy. And they came to them and said, "We are people from afar off. They were 15 miles down the road. They were the next victory God wanted them to have." But they had disguised themselves to be someone that they're not. The Bible says the, father, the devil is the father of all lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. There are telltale signs when we know who, when we're fighting the devil, if we're fighting the flesh or if we're fighting the world. But So these guys, that Joshua and them, began to listen and talk to the devil. How many times has you and I been there? You know what I'm saying? That all of a sudden... You're, you're, you're just living this Christian life, and then all of a sudden, the enemy starts trying to sell you a bag of goods. Right. Yes. You know, there was a, um, a guy in the grocery store, and um, he went in, and he was going to buy a loaf of bread. And so he went down to the bread aisle, and he reached down to pick it up, and a lady standing beside him was like, oh my goodness. And he was like, what? And he just, I can't believe it. And she was like, what? he goes, you look just like my son. And he was all flattered. She goes, I hadn't got to see him. He was in the Gulf War, and he got killed. And I haven't seen him since he was deployed. And, man, I'm looking. You look just like my son. And the guy was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And, you know, feels like, but she's like, can I, can I ask you for something weird? And he was like, oh, yeah. She goes, can I give you a hug? And he was like, that's weird. <laughs> she said, you look like I hadn't, I hadn't hugged my son in years. And he died. So... She said, he was like, oh, okay, and she let him hug him. And she said, uh, he goes, can I ask you for something weird too? And she goes, he goes, yeah. And she goes, would you say I love you, mom? I want to hear it just one more time. She, she He's all weird out and says, I, I love you, mom. And she goes, oh, thank you. you don't know what that means to me. So he got his bread and went and grabbed some peanut butter, went up to check out. And when he did, the lady that he ran into on the bread I was in front of him in line. So she went checking out, scanned all her stuff, you know, had a whole basket full of things. Got to the end, and, you know, she turned to him and said, could you just one more time? He said it was very awkward, weird. So he walked over, she put her arm around him, said, I love you, Mom. She walked out. He got up there, rang up his bread, his peanut butter. The guy said, that would be $286. He's like, what? Bread's not... I said, no, your mom said you were paying for it. <laughs> That's how the devil works. I mean, it's, it's, he's in for the long time. And he don't mind making you feel good for a little while. He don't mind. I mean, you understand, you're the devil, the episode, he's a crafty guy. And these guys completely dressed up, looking like they were something that they weren't. And this is what they came to Joshua and said. They said, Joshua, see, you know, we're from a far off country You know, what we do and how we do it will never affect you guys. So we would came all this way because we heard, and this is what it said. He says, if you read in verse 9, it says, We heard of the name of your Lord. And when they said that, Joshua and the children of Israel thought, Wow, they're using the name of God. And they let their guard down. I want to let you know something. The devil is evil and crafty. And his job is to come into your life and deceive you and take you off. But he will even use the Word of God out of context, but the Word. So when Jesus was in the wilderness, he said, Is it not written? But see, Jesus knew the voice he was listening to. So he said, Get out of here, Satan. You've got to know your adversary. You don't just got to know the voice of God. You also got to know the voice of devil. Let me like bring in to example some of the things the enemy is. I'm deeply concerned as a church and as a nation and as a father especially. Because see the enemy is trying to bring things into the church and into who we are now. And I I keep hearing these statements. But I can't seem to hear or can't find where God is saying it. I'm just going to, can I get political for a minute? Just because a politician says God doesn't mean he's a Christian. Let me make another statement. Just because people say God made it doesn't make it okay. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says in the Garden of Eden that God created the trees. Then it says God planted a tree in the garden. And then God said, don't touch this tree because it's going to destroy your life. But then the Bible said this, the Bible says Eve walked up to the tree and she said, the Bible says it clearly, it says she looked at the tree and saw that the fruit of the tree was good to eat and so she ate it and when she ate it, spiritually, she died. Relationally, her marriage went into turmoil, her family she lost a son, and the other was banished and marked and put out. And all their finances, their feelings, everything in their life dried up. They had to work, lost it by the foot, all because God made a certain tree. But he said, don't eat it. I have conversations with people about the marijuana thing. You want to know where we stand? We stand, not everything God made is good to eat. And if someone is telling you, I just don't see anything wrong with it. Your next statement is say, but what did God say about it? Because if you don't know what God said about it, it not matter what you see. You can look at it. I mean, you know how many times I saw a hot girl, but she would have been wrong for me? God had Jennifer for me. You, if you go by what you see, you're going to find yourself in, the, in a garden listening to a snake destroying your life. And so, I mean, where do I stand on? I stand on, no, I don't vote for marijuana to be legalized. No, I don't believe it's okay. No, I do believe that God made some things on this planet that we are not to touch. That's, as a matter of fact, how the story begins. He puts things on this planet for you to make the choice whether I'm going to serve God or I'm going to do what I want to do. And so you're going to be faced with reality. But I can tell you this. When you do it God's way, you're going to be blessed when you do what you want to do. You will find destruction, and everyone around you will eventually see it as well. That's my soapbox. I'm getting on So here, the devil is constantly sneaky, trying to convince you, get you to do things that will take you away from God. And so these guys came up and said, "Listen, look at us. Look, can't you see? There's nothing wrong with us." And Joshua and the children of Israel made a mistake. They didn't find out what God said about these people. They didn't find out what God said about any of the, What they found out was that what they, their judgment was not that good. The devil was craftier and sneakier than them. And so when they went into covenant with the, with the children of Israel, children of Israel broke what God had called them to do. Now, the responsibility of this mistake was huge. Because... You need to know something. You know how many marriages I've done in the church over the years? I wish I could tell you I have a hundred percent staying married rate as a pastor. I marry people they stay married. The truth is I'm about a 60, 40 percent. Because I've actually tried to talk people out of getting married because they wasn't that they, they, they may have met in church, but they haven't known each other long enough to know what the character of that one person may say they're a Christian. But they're not living it outside of there. And so they get married and then they get to thinking, you know, I married the wrong person. God, let me let you know something. I I respect the principle here that Joshua and them signed a covenant, made a commitment not to kill them, but to be um, in covenant with them. And they kept their word. There are some decisions we make in life, though. If we make them, God expects you to keep your word and have to, at that point, have trust and faith in God that he can work it out. And so Joshua and them kept the word here. They said, we'll, we'll keep our covenant. But this is what God told them. God told them that the people, that they, the Gideonites, that they no longer aren't partners or buddies, they're going to be servants. And so God said, the They were supposed to kill them, but Joshua and them didn't pray, didn't hear from God until after the fact. And then God told them to do so. Now they're stuck with this mess. And this is what the Bible says. God God told them, all right, what you're going to do with them is you're going to make them woodcutters and water carriers for the house of God. God proves a principle here that's amazing. That's what God says. God says, hey, you're going to blow it. But if you will get back on track, if you'll look back to me, I'm going to make your mistakes work for you. Okay. They blew it here. Man, I've blown it in my life. But then when I blow it, it doesn't mean it's over. It doesn't mean I stop. I turn back to God. I repent. I ask God to forgive me. And God begins to make my mistakes work for me. Okay. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times. You know, I'm going to mess up. I'm not going to do it on purpose. But when I do, I'm going to look back to God and say, but he gets up. God's going to, I'm so thankful that I work, serve a God that will take my greatest mistakes and use them for my benefit in my future when I turn back to him. And so the story here, the strategy is this. But this is what God taught in that strategy. Do you want to know the strategy to beating the devil? This is how the strategy to beat the devil. The way to beat the devil's strategy... It's connected to the proximity you are with God. In this area where they made a mistake, God said, I'm going to make them woodcutters and water carriers for my house. That means their greatest mistake now was connected to the house of God wherever it went. And they were to bring the wood to burn altars on the altars, and they were to bring water for the laver and to wash off the, the blood stains of the sacrifices because God knows this. If anything stays connected to the house of God long enough, your greatest mistakes, your greatest failures can change. God said, you guys did this with, on your own without consulting me, and now it's a part of this. You, you might have an addiction in your life. You're like, I can't break it. I can't." You need to know something. If you stay connected to the house of God long enough, the house of God will overpower the hold that that power has over you. The Bible says the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. So he connected them to the house of God. And the story of the Gideonite of the Gibeonites goes this just right down there. Although they, God told them to kill them, get rid of it, they didn't. They compromised and the enemy tricked them into getting into this thing. Down the road, it was a Gibeonite, Gibeonite town is where God gave to the Benjamites. With the Benjamites came the Levites, lived in this city. So it became a city of the priests and the, of the ones that worked the temple. But then later, hundreds of years down the road, where the walls of Jerusalem were in ruin and decay, God called upon a man named Nehemiah to rise up and rebuild the walls and it was the Gibeonites that rose to the occasion and rebuilt the city. Your greatest mistakes, when you turn them back over and do it the way God wants you to do it, he will rebuild the life and rebuild everything that the enemy has tried to destroy in your life and in your future. I'm so glad that's a God we serve. So my thing is this. If I've got mistakes in my life, I better get connected because God uses your cracks. Bible says the word of your testimony. There, there's that old story about the lady that had the two pots that had to get up every day and walk a mile up the road to get water. So every day she'd pick them up and walk up the road. But one pot was not as good as the other pot. One pot had cracks and bust all over it, but it was still held together. And she would get up and carry these pots up the hill. And she'd fill them both full of water. And then she would turn and walk back down. But when she got back down the hill to her house every day, she only had one and a half pots of water left. Because one of the pots had so many cracks and busts in it, it would leak half of its water out on its way. And the pot said to her one day, I'm so sorry that you're doing all this work. And I've been there, God. I'm so sorry that I've got so many issues and problems in my life. I'm so sorry. And the lady looked at her pot and said, Listen, you're my favorite pot. I keep you because of the cracks. And he was like, What? What are you talking about? she said, look up the road. And as she looked up the road, on one side of the road, it was dusty and dry. On the other side of the road was beautiful flowers and green and lush. Because every day when she carried those pots and filled them with water, because there were cracks in the pot, she would turn in the water, would feed everything that she came behind. God uses your cracks to build his future. And so in this battle with the devil, you have to know every failure is a place for victory. If you will let God use and turn it back over, he will make them work for you. He will make them work on your behalf. And he wants to use for failure. But then jumping into 10, we're going to close with this. We've got to get to 10 because I can't leave you here. can't leave you that this is going to be a life of failure and a life of defeat because God didn't leave the children of Israel here. The beginning of verse 9, remember it said this. There were five kings that were coming together at Gibeonite to fight Joshua and the children of Israel. And then it went into the story of why that was an issue. Because Joshua and the guys had made a mistake, and they did something without consulting the Lord. They did something by what they thought it looked like, or how they, they didn't see it was a wrong thing. And they were deceived by the enemy, and so now they found a life of compromise. But God got it worked out. They didn't give up. My thing is, is if you've got compromise, you hold on to the house of God. You stay in church no matter what. You stay in church no matter what. And what will happen is, those cracks will be what God begins to heal through. And then the Bible says this. The Bible says, those five kings, check out the way they came against the children of Israel. They didn't come against Joshua. If you read, it says, those five kings got together as one army, and they came against uh, Gibeonite. In other words, when we fell, what it, you, you realize the trouble it caused Joshua, that compromise? Now he had all these mouths to feed. Now, you, you got to understand, that I like the principle of them, though. They knew, hey, we're a million miles from being right. We're wrong. We're actually enemies to these people. But if we can get close enough to give our lives to them, we become their responsibility. Because those kings came at Joshua, and Joshua had to rise up and go fight the battle for them. By me, I would have said, shoot, I messed up there. I'm going to let uh Their own enemies get them because that'll fix my problem. It'll hide my mistake. That's what David tried to do with his sins. Tried to get them brushed under the rug. But God, don't work that way. God works. Makes your mistakes work for you. And so then Joshua and them took the responsibility. You know, you need to know when you give your life to God, you become his responsibility. Cracks and all. Mistakes and all. Shadiness and all. Joshua rose up and brought the children of Israel to Gibeonite to fight the five kings. Now the story turns and sounds real bad here. But I want to show you the difference between the devil and God. The devil came craftily, sneakily, deceiving, lying, accusing, all that. God, hands at work, everything bad in your life is not from the devil. Here this day, they were fighting the biggest battle they had ever fought. Five kings at one. Up to this point, they'd only fought one king at a time. God was giving them victory here on this day. They had five kings coming at them The hardest battle they had ever faced and I don't know about you But me when I start going through hard things harder than I went through, I started looking God What did I do wrong God? Why are you letting the devil do this God? Where where have I failed? you need to understand some some of the things you face aren't from the devil They're from God himself But see because what was going on that day seemed so bad felt so bad was such an intense battle, five kings, never been able to do that before. Never gotten victory in this area before. I've never, never win here. They'd never done that. They, what God was doing was he was bringing, instead of them going to have to have a life or year of a battle, God brought five enemies together all over. They didn't have to go to fight five battles to get five victories. All they had to do was fight one battle to get five victories. God is working on your behalf, even if what you're facing you think is hard. He was making it easier on them than they thought it was going to be. He was making it easier on them than because they were having to campaign. They thought we're going to have to fight this thing forever. And the truth of the matter is that battle didn't last forever. To take five kings, it would have took months and years. It wasn't going to take that because God says I'm fixing to move on your behalf and while you may think it's hurting you you may have lost that job because you think the devil did it the devil didn't lose jobs sometimes maybe God's repositioning you into a place to get you in a job that's going to overly and above bless you don't give the devil credit for everything going on in your life recognize that the hand of God when it comes it brings down sometimes Elijah, Elijah said this the Bible says and the hand of God took me down into the valley and he said what do you see i see nothing but drive on it was god that put him there why because god wanted to turn him into a dead razor wanted to turn him into a prophet that could declare life in the dead situations just because you're going through something hard does not mean it's the devil you got to know your adversary God works through whatever He wants. He brought five kings at one time because it wasn't going to be their battle anyway. God was going to fight it. They just had to trust God that God was going to fight it even though it was bigger than they've ever fought. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that instead of it being a year, they were fixing to do it in a day. Hey, what, what, let me tell you this. What, what do you think? I'm going to struggle with this thing forever. What if I could tell you what's going on in your life right now is not so that you're going to have to struggle with this thing forever for years. But God's fixing to do this thing in a day. And today would be your day for you to get so. Now, you say, I've been suffering for this thing for a long time. Well, this was a long day because the Bible says the five kings came at him. And when they came at him, they fought. Well, I love it. First, Joshua, when they said go, the Bible says Joshua that night jumped up with all his men and they went straight. They marched all night long to surprise the devil in the morning. I mean, some of you guys need to decide. Today's my day. I'm going to jump up and I'm going to surprise the devil tomorrow. I'm not going to think this way, talk this way, walk that way anymore. I'm going to expect God to show up and help me in this battle. And so the Bible says they get up and in the morning the enemy woke up and there Joshua were right in their face staring them down. And the, God began to, and the Bible says they gave them a great, they started fighting the battle. And when they began to fight the battle, the hand of God began to move. And it says hell and stones began to fall. And it says that the hell and stones killed more men on that battlefield that day than Joshua's men and their swords. And you can't say, "Well, that's a, that's a uh, that's you know coincidence." No. Why didn't any of Joshua's men get hit by that? God was strategically. Busting that enemy up because not a single israelite got hit by stone But it destroyed more than what they were able to do. God's gonna do what you can't do far above what you could do in this area And then the Bible says the Kings ran into a cave and this is where Joshua begins to give us the give us the strategy How to destroy the devil it says the kings went into this cave and they took a stone Joshua said put a stone in front of the door Now Theologians and spiritual commentators believe that these five kings represent our five senses. For you to walk in a life of promise, you're going to have to get victory over your five senses. You're going to have to get victory over what it is you let yourself see. You to have to get victory over what it is you let yourself hear. You have to get victory over what you, what is you let yourself taste. What, in other words, what you put in your in your body, in your mouth, in your in your spirit, what you're eating, feeding on. You have to get. Um, uh, you're going to have to get victory over the things that you touch. The five senses that we have, God created your physical body five senses, but your spiritual it affects you spiritually as well. And so, the first thing he did, he wasn't able to just kill them right off. What he did was, he said, "All right, I'm going to put them in a cave and I'm going to put a guard in front of them." Because honestly, God knew that five at one time was probably a, the challenge for us today is this. God wants you to get victory in your life, but you're going to have to get over the senses. You're going to get over your sight, your hearing, your smell, your taste, and your touch. You say, well, what are those? Sight is what you allow yourself to see, what you allow yourself to look at. Hearing is who you let have your ear, who, who you are let talking to you and what they're talking about. Smell is your attitude. You know, how many guys, man, their attitude stinks. You have to let God get control of your attitude. And you're going to have to get it over your taste, what you're feeding on, and over what you're touching, what you're involved in. Because see, if you can get victory over those, the story changes here. The entire book of Joshua changes after this moment. It says he put them in the cave, and he put a guard. There are times, Jennifer's teaching me to bite my tongue. Because i got to be honest with you. I'm saved, but man, my tongue still ain't. And there are times my eyes want to see things. And so I'm right, I'm right now in areas of my life, spiritually, Says I have a guard over them. They're not defeated yet, but i got a guard over them. I keep a stone to keep them at bay I have to keep the word of God in my mouth all times so that it don't just it, my mouth just can't do what it wants to do and I got to keep the word of God in my life so I can't just watch or look at what I want I got to keep a guard you got to go but then the bible says he pulled Joshuahua said pull the kings out one at a time he says take them put them on the ground put your foot on their neck you think just pull them out and kill them we didn't Put your foot on it. They took the kings out five one at a time, and took authority over each one. You may be here today, and you may have five of your four of your senses under control, but there's one, and that's just one kid that is a king in your life, and you can't control it. You have to start with that king. You have to keep a guard on everything, but pulling out and say, all right, I'm going to put my foot on your neck and I'm going to work on this until I get authority over this area. If it's my mouth, if I just can't quit talking about people, I'm going to start working on not talking about people. I'm not going to let the king of my mouth run what God is doing in my life. It says, and then they cut their heads off. And when they made that choice to deal with the kings that the enemy was trying to use in their life. If you read and we're done here, This, if you start reading in 10, in verse 28, the story completely changes. I'm going to read just two of the two scriptures to you, but every one I'm going to repeat this. It says, on that day Joshua took Maccabea however you want to, and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. It says, and then verse 29 says, and then Joshua passed by Mechadeah and, and all of Israel with him to Libyaneth. And they fought against Libya, and the Lord has also delivered it, and it's king to the hand. And he took it, he struck it with the edge of the sword. And it goes on through several more kings, several more battles. They began to live a life of victory. And they didn't, and it says the way they got the victory at that moment was the sword started working for them. Man, there's been times in my life I wanted the Bible to work for me. But it was like it wasn't working. It wasn't working. Why ain't it working? Why? Because I had kings in my life that I didn't put a guard on and began to get dominion over. And those kings were ruling things. But the minute you begin to fight those five kings in your life, God's going to give you victory. And then going forward, you'll begin to live a life of victory, not battle. The Word of God will begin to work in your situation. You'll declare over your children, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And you'll see kids start walking to the altar because the Word of God will start working on your behalf. Or you'll start praying over the sick. You'll see them recover. And you'll say, wow, how's that happening now? And Because what's happening is you've taken control over the kings in your life. And boom, the Word of God starts striking the enemies and working for you. The Word of God is a sword, the Bible says. He was given to you for it to work on your behalf. But as long as kings are controlling who you are, the word of God and God can't use you to get victory in these areas. But today is a day of victory. I love this. Right in the middle of this book, these guys, story they quit fighting battles on their own. And the Bible, the word of God started winning them for them. Aren't you ready to get to that level? I truly believe that this year when you understand God's word is going to fight for you, you just got to make sure the three enemies that the enemies brought against us, which is the world, the flesh, and you recognize when the devil's doing something and you don't give the devil credit for when God is doing something, the word will begin to work on you. I want to pray real quick. This is what I want to pray. I want to ask that. Are you here today and you know that there's a king sitting on the throne of your life? that you know Jesus is supposed to be sitting on? Joshua had five. All five of them were against him. But God wants to deal with all of ours too. What what battle are you losing? Is it the battle of your eyes? The battle of what you hear? Is it the battle of what you're putting in? Is it the battle of what you're involved in? Is it the battle of your attitude? Is it, You just got a stinking attitude? If you'd be willing to pull that king out of that cave today. See, we hide those things. We don't want them. If you're willing to pull it out today and you say, I'm going to put my foot on your neck and I'm going to declare dominion over that. You're going to see God's going to give you the power and the word to begin to chop the head off and strike those enemies. You're going to get victory in areas you've never had them out before in your life. I pray, God, what do you want to do at the end of this service? I felt like God told me, I'm going to give people victory over things they've been battling for a long time. You say, well, how can this happen? How can I get victory in this area? Well, in this battle, the Bible says the battle got long and the day was getting dark. And Joshua spoke to the sun. He says, don't let the sun go down before I get victory. See, it could have went down that day and he would have had to get up tomorrow and fight the same thing but that was not his desire. And that's not God's desire for you today. It's not God's desire for you to, the sun to go down today and you get up tomorrow and have to fight that same king that you had to fight yesterday. God wants to give you complete victory. And you say, cricket, how can he do that? If God's hand has to do a miracle in this world or in the world around you, God will be willing to do it if you're willing to pull the kings out of the cave. And this is what the Bible said. And it's recorded in history. Around 701 B.C. Calendars around the world changed. The Bible says there in the Bible, it says that Joshua looked up at the sun and he said, stand still. And then you read, it's crazy how it says this. It says, and the sun stood still for almost a day. Not a day, almost a day. All right. First, he said, moon, stand still here. Sun, stand still here. And the Bible says that it did, and the sun did not go down until he had victory in that area. But this is what take place. He said that, I mean, if you look back in history, at seven, every calendar known to man at this time changed 701 B.C. The Roman calendar at 701 B.C. added five and a half days to it. Their year was uh, 360 days, but something happened then at 700 and their, their calendar shifted. The Jewish calendar uh, that days back it changed and added a month to it. The um, University of Maryland was doing a survey a few years back and what they did was they were looking at what they were wanting to where to place satellites into the sky. And so they had to look at the time lapse of future. But the only way you can look at time-lapse of the future with stars and things that keep... They had to look at time-lapse from the past. So they began to look forward. They began to look backwards. And they found at 701 B.C. that something changed. And there was what they call a missing day. You can go Google it. It'll trip you out. There was a missing day in accordance to the movement in the galaxy and in the worlds. And that missing day... Actually, they've got it now down to an exact moment. It was 23 hours and 20 minutes long. And to the point that God stopped everything for your victory, He will do it. Even if it takes a miracle that even future generations won't be able to deny happen in your life people in your past have been saying that person will never change but i'm here to tell you if you'll pull them kings out of that cave and you say god i'm gonna lay this down before you and i'm gonna get the dem- dominion over this area and your word is going to set me free if it has to stop time still to this day and now there's no denying that isn't it amazing that word in the scripture says for almost a day it only took 23 hours and 20 minutes for Joshua to get victory in this battle. But God was willing to give it every minute of every second for that victory to be won that day. The hand of God is for you, not against you. And I'm here to tell you this. If you'll pull a king out of your cave, I truly believe. God. Now, it was a long day. <laughs> I'm not saying it was easy. But I'm going to tell you the secret how to lengthen your day. Speak to the sun. He didn't ask God. He looked up at the sun and said, Son, stand still. Move, stand Speak to the Son. You start talking to Jesus. When that king tries to take control, you say, Jesus, stop this thing. Jesus, stop this battle. Jesus, because the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue confess the name of Jesus. Your battle could be over today. you has got to pull that king out and be willing to put your foot on his throat today. And don't let today pass because I'm here to tell you, pull him out today you'll be fighting him tomorrow and you'll be fighting him the next day because god's not going to give up on you because he has too much for you so you can decide to do it his way and then the rest of the chapter is nothing but victory the rest of your pages are nothing but victory if you will just pull the king out that has hidden itself in your case i want to pray through god i'm done if you're here today cricket, you say i know there's a king in my life lord And today I want to pull it out. Like I say, all the way through this book, I've been praying this prayer and I don't want to know your kings because I got enough kings I deal with in my own life. I don't want yours gunking my head up at all anyway. And so... I've got kings I'm going to pull out of my cave and I'm going to say Lord I'm going to take authority over this thing in the name of Jesus your word says that in the name of Jesus I have authority over every principality every ruler of darkness every spiritual wickedness in high places and I'm going to take the authority you've given me in the word, and Lord I'm going to use the word of God I'm going to cut its head off and I'm going to get my victory today and when I walk out of here tomorrow is a day of victory if you've got that prayer I simply want you to pray say dear father I ask you to forgive me for this king and just whisper to him and Lord I make a decision to pull him out of this cave I've allowed him to stay on the inside of and I want to lay him before you and I declare that you have given me the authority to step and put my neck, his foot on his neck And I declare that today it will not rule over me, but I will rule over it through the authority and the power you've given me. I am going to be strong and I am going to be courageous. And Lord, I ask you to don't let this sun go down today without giving me victory in this area. In the name of Jesus, amen.